gosh. Morena Tefana. <laughs> We're continuing our series on rhythms of life. It's week two. Last week we talked about prostitutes. This week we'll be talking again about prostitutes. <laughs> um, last week it was about faith, but this week it's a little bit different. Uh, this week it's equally as challenging, but, but let, let me start with a story. Let me tell you a story. The Old Testament is a book filled about specifically a relationship between God and His people. Now, we take out quite a lot from the Old Testament books. We take out a lot that we can use today. But ultimately, completely, the book is about God and His relationship with His people. When you read the book of Jonah, it's not about Nineveh being saved or about the whale or about the sailors. It's all about Jonah and his relationship with God. And such is this relationship that poor old God gets just a little frustrated with his people throughout this whole book. This is a people that have experienced incredible things with this God Almighty. The parting of seas, the provision of food, the defeat of enemies. They have this incredible relationship with him, and yet they still seem to be distracted by other things. Now, it's stuff that for us today might be difficult to understand, like we don't really have other gods per se, little uh, monuments that we keep at home just to kind of keep the gods at bay. In those days in the ancient world, every nation had its gods. And the Israelites over time just thought that, hey, well, you know, we've got our God, but just in case, let's just appease these other gods. And of course, that caused a little bit of a, yeah, relationship breakdown with God. And so, God had to deal with this time and time and time and time again. They just two-timed him, three-timed him, four-timed him. And he got quite frustrated with them. In fact, the story that I'm going to share with you this morning is about this one guy, a guy named Hosea. Now, he was one of the few that kept true to God. He was one of the few that just did everything that God had asked him. He was righteous. He did what was right, even though all his friends and everyone around him were just kind of doing their own thing and dissing God. He was doing everything that was right. So God calls him up and says, hey, buddy, I've got you. I want you to do something for me. Of course, Hosea is like, yeah, absolutely. Anything you want me to do, God, I'll do it. And he goes, I want you to marry a woman. Cool. Finally, my soul partner. Yeah, yeah, no, she's going to cheat on you. Not once, not twice, but multiple times. She's going to break her vows and break your heart. Can you imagine how Hosea must have felt? I'm doing everything right here. Why, why am I the one being punished? What, what have I done? Why do I have to, what? These guys, the rest of them, they're the ones that are doing everything wrong. Why do I have to do this, God? So Hosea goes out and looks for a woman, falls in love with a woman named Goma. They uh, yeah, completely falls in love with her. They get married. And, you know, you think when you get married, the vows are for better or for worse. You never really ever think that there's ever going to be a for worse. But Hosea knew from day one that there's going to be a lot of worse in this. 
So he goes ahead and marries her, and the first few years are doing pretty well. In fact, they have three children. But God again intervenes with the kids. And he says to Hosea, hey, dude, your first kid? Yeah, I want you to name her Jezreel. Now, Jezreel means uh, it's a place of massacre. Okay, we need to understand these are real people. Imagine God just coming out of the blue and saying, dude, I, wanna, I want you to name your daughter Jezreel. Oh, uh, really? I, I thought Katie might have been better. No. Like, could we go with something a little bit? No, it's got to be just. And he has a son. And he goes, I want you to name your son Lo-Rahumaha. And he goes, oh, what? Because that means not loved. These poor kids, you think they're going to need some therapy when they get older? And of course, then he has another daughter, and then he calls her Lo Ami, <laughs> which means not my people. Now, these kids are bearing witness by their very names. I, 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 don't, I don't know how you guys feel, but when I was holding my daughter in my arm, the first one, Bella, who's sitting at the back there, the last thing I wanted to call her was after a place of massacre. If I knew what was coming, maybe. No, kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> we just don't think that, do we? I mean, this is pretty intense, what God's doing. And Hosea must be thinking, my poor kids, they're going to have to bear witness to this as well. Not only do I have to live with it, they have to live with it. And as the marriage goes on, you know, three beautiful kids, things seem to be going well, but... Yeah, Gomer starts to wander a little. She has an affair. She has two affairs. Then, you know, subtly it gets worse. Then the town begins to kind of know about her indiscretions. It's not just, you know, poor Hosea that's getting a, a whiff of it. Everyone in town starts talking about it. And then at a certain point, she decides, well... She's loving this so much, she's going to prostitute herself. Imagine the embarrassment, the shame. Hosea, an upright guy by God's standards compared to the rest of Israel at the time, having to live with this. It gets so bad that she literally runs away from home, gets caught up in some nefarious stuff and is sold into slavery. So one day, in the center square in the markets, Gomer is brought up to be sold, stripped naked before the crowd, and sold to the highest bidder. Now, at this point, Hosea has every right to ask for a divorce, has every right to turn away and leave her to her own devices. I mean, the law states, God's law states he can do that. Instead, he gets into the crowd and starts bidding for her. First person bids three pieces of silver, he bids five. Second person bids eight, he bids ten. Next person bids twelve, and finally, with all that he's got, he bids fifteen shekels of silver and a bushel of wheat and barley. And he buys his wife back, dresses her, and takes her home. It's a pretty intense story, hey? 
I mean, we read these stories and we think of them as stories because they're so far removed from it, we don't think of it that this is a real-life situation. This is a human being. Well, few human beings. They are real people, not just stories. But God used them. Now, I find, you know, when we come to the Lord, when we want to work for the Lord, we put our hands up and say, Lord, use me in any way, shape or form. Would you want to be used like that? Is that the way we would want to be used? I don't think so. But Hosea put his hand up for it and he did what he was told. Divorce was never an option for him. Walking away from this was never an option for him. He knew that God wanted him to do this and he did it. Even though it broke his heart, shredded his pride. What is the Bible's fascination with prostitutes? You know, you think it ends with the Old Testament. No, it goes on even into the New Testament. The first person God appear, Jesus appears to on Easter Sunday, Mary Magdalene, there, there's a rumor that she was a woman of ill repute, a prostitute. Last week, we talked about Rahab. The New Testament still referred to her as what? The prostitute, the poor thing. She'd stopped being a prostitute. She'd gotten married, had kids, but no, we still refer to her, even hundreds or thousands of years later, as the prostitute. What is our fascination with prostitutes? Tamar, in the Old Testament, she prostitutes herself to sleep with her father-in-law. To prove a point, we had Rahab last week, Goma this week. It seems like God has a little bit of a special love for these people. In fact, Jesus, when he's talking to people around him, says, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Who's he talking to? Actually, yes, Pharisees, but he's actually talking to you and me. And there's this funny thing about the NIV when they say, God, they're going to get ahead of you. In our terminology today, that means they're going to be at the front of the line while we're at the back of it. There's no line here. They're getting in, you're not. And he's talking to the people of Israel. The ones who have this special relationship with God. God seems to have this special love for these broken people. And thank God that he does. Because you know what? I'm a prostitute. You are a prostitute. We have turned our backs on God how many times? We have two times and three times. Maybe we don't bow to, to uh, Lakesh or, or to Baal or, or anything like that, but usually our work, our pride, the way we set up our lifestyles, they become our gods. And more often than not, we turn our backs on the true God and bow 
to the gods we make. We are all prostitutes. We're all fallen. We've all two-timed him, three-timed him. And he uses the story to tell you how he feels about this. And for some of you, you've experienced this personally. So you know how God's feeling in this moment. We've all failed God. We've all turned out. There's no one in this room that can say they haven't. Remember what I said last week about perfect people? Anyone remember? It's really no use for you if you're perfect. God uses broken people to reach broken people. Doesn't mean he doesn't waver. It doesn't mean he doesn't have his moments. As in Hosea, you read, you know, that he does get quite frustrated with his people and he's ready to just get rid of them. I can imagine a parent with some wayward kids sometimes. You know, you love them to death, but boy, there are times in which you just want to straighten them out a little bit. And here's God talking to Israel. He says, will they not return? Uh, will they not return to Egypt? And will not Assyria rule over them? Because they refuse to repent. A sword will flash in their cities. It will devour their false prophets, put an end to their plans. My people are determined to turn from me, even though they call me God most high. I will by no means exalt them. This is God not happy. This is God saying, I've had enough. But yet, like a good parent, as frustrated and upset as he gets, he relents. This is the very next verse. And how can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboyim? My heart is charged within me. All my compassion is aroused. And now comes his love, regardless of how many times we've cheated him, regardless of how many times we've turned our back to him, and regardless of how many times we've carved our own roads, our own paths. He still loves us. He still goes out, stands in the crowd, and buys us from slavery with the blood of his son. Matthew McConaughey and his wife, Camilla Alves, uh, quite a popular couple in Hollywood, simply because their marriage has lasted so long. Isn't that funny? They live in an environment where it is unusual for a couple to live together, married for so long. And of course, you know, they become... Uh, an item of interest. How? Well, everyone else around you doesn't even last, you know, a few years and it's a mess and there's all this. How have you guys lasted? And, and Camilla says this, she says, we always choose love. Love is a choice. I can guarantee you, Hosea at certain points in his life most probably did not want to love Gomer anymore. But he understood that love is a choice. And interestingly enough, she says this after that. She says, by choosing love, you also choose forgiveness and 
repentance. That's pretty powerful stuff, eh? It teaches us Christians a few things. If you choose love, by default, you choose forgiveness and repentance. When we talked about faith last week and we saw what faith looked like for Rahab and how she's taught us a few lessons around faith and how we can kind of weave that kind of faith into the rhythms of our own lives. Today, I want to challenge you on choices. What does love truly mean for you? How can that be weaved into the rhythm of your life? And what does repentance and forgiveness look like for you? And here's the real kicker of a question. When faced with our own infidelity, our own prostitution, will we turn to our first love or will we continue in our betrayal? Will we continue in our betrayal or will we turn back to our first love? God knew that there is no way we can keep the straight path. He knew that left to our own devices, we'd go wandering off who knows where. He knew that. But he chooses to love us. The question is, do you choose to repent? To turn back? You know, repentance is a pretty tough word. It's got a whole heap of baggage to it. It really does. Whenever I talk, I mean, unfortunately, Christians in particular have done a really bad job. Whether it's the pastor up front, you know, almost pointing the finger at you saying, repent! Or the guy on the street corner, or the guy on television, who they themselves choose not to repent, but they're quite happy to tell others to repent. Repent does have its baggage. We've got to be careful with it. But let me just knock the mystique out of it. Let me bring it back down to earth. Repentance simply means change your path. You're going in the wrong direction, you just need to turn back. That's all it means. You're going in this direction, God really is trying to get you back onto this direction. Just turn. Jesus, when he begins his ministry on earth, he begins with those very words, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Before he does, you know, the, uh, the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer, before he does the Sermon on the Mount, before he does anything else, he begins coming out of the desert with the word, repent. Turn, turn away from the direction you're going. Th that's all that repentance means. It's just acknowledging, maybe I'm not doing this well on my own. Maybe I just kind of need to stop and see where God wants me to go. Follow God's path in your life. What, what does that look like for you? The last two or three years have been a bit rough. And, and we've been kind of overwhelmed by this pandemic. Personally, I think we've been quite fortunate. Pandemics in the past have killed millions of people. 
The Spanish flu killed more people than World War I. Smallpox in the 20th century killed more people than World War I and World War II combined. This doesn't take away the fact that it's been hard. But keep your eyes on where God is leading you. Don't allow these things to redirect you. Follow God's path. Get back into the rhythm of keeping God ahead of you rather than behind you. Love is not impulsive. Love is a decision. Everyone asks, I've got a lot of good friends who aren't Christian, a lot of family. I'm Italian. My mom's Greek and Arab, so you can only imagine how many of us there are. I don't know why, but the Mediterranean people love to multiply. And they all ask me, man, you got almost 30 years of marriage, Rob. Yeah, it wasn't, wasn't easy. <laughs> as hard as it was for me, as it was for Monica, as much as it was that there were times in which we wanted to walk away. But it's a constant choice. I choose to love her. I choose to be with her. God chooses to be with us. Do you choose to be with Him? Even when, at times, you don't hear Him, you don't see Him, and you don't feel Him. It's a commitment. Hosea, he made the decision to love Gomer, even though he knew he was going to be betrayed, even though he knew she was going to run off, even though he knew he was going to feel like junk, in a society that would have looked down on him quite a lot, more so than in any other type of history, maybe. He chose to love her. God has made a decision to love you and me. He sent his only son, Jesus Christ. For he so loved the world. And the world isn't earth you and me. He so loved it, he chose to love us. What's your decision? What's your decision? In Isaiah 30, 15, God is saying this, this is what the Lord, the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, in repentance and rest, is your salvation in quietness and trust is your strength i love it how he begins it all with that word repentance in repentance and rest is our salvation in quietness and trust is our strength our rhythms have been messed up the last three or four years. We have felt like we have the power to change the world. We have made our voices loud and clear. We have stood up in protest against earthly things. And yet that is not what God is calling us to do. Because that's not how transformed people transform the world. 
Transformed churches transform communities. Being transformed begins with repentance. Begins with knowing that we are loved. And then sharing that love with each other. And as many of you would want to sit here and say, yes, that's what the church needs to be doing. We need to be a transformed church. Let me tell you this. Transformed people transform people. So it begins with you. People have always asked me, you know, Rob, the Great Commission, we need to be doing this, we need to be doing that. I said, well, hang on a second. Before you start telling me what the Great Commission should be all about, let's see how the early church took this whole Great Commission because they were the first transformed church. They were the first transformed people. What did they do? Acts chapter 2, verse 42, going on. They sat around, they ate, they praised God, they worshipped, they hung out, and then through their own transformation, others were transformed. If your encounter with God has not transformed you, maybe it's time to stop. And in the quietness, find his love again. In the quietness, shut the world out and rekindle your relationship with God who loves you so much was willing to give his only son for your life. Are you prepared to repent, to turn around and get back to your first love? Are you prepared? This is your challenge this week. Faith, <laughs> that's easy compared to this. Faith, we can convince ourselves. Being faced with the love of the Almighty God, you can't hide from that. You can't convince anyone that. You need to start with you. Allow God to change your heart, your direction. Turn back to his love. And through that transformation, let us join together so that we can transform our community. Amen. Amen. I'll ask our music team to come up. Let's pray. Father God, I, I don't, I, I'm guessing Hosea's there with you, Lord, but um, I, it's a confronting story that we're faced with, Lord, in your book. It's a confronting story when we look at those pages. Now, he's not even referred to as a prophet. He's just an everyday person. And that you used him, Lord, and it scares me to think that you could use me. <laughs> but Father God, forgive us that we have treated you like that, that we have put other things ahead of you. And, and I'm certain, Lord, for many of us, as we get up there one day, there'll be a lot of things that we may be ashamed of, Lord. But Father, that's what your son was brought here for, to take away our shame, 
to take away our sins, to turn us back to the one love, your love. And so I pray this week, Lord, as we are struggling to grasp what it means to be loved and to love, to, to repent and turn. Help us, Father. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts, speak to our minds and our heads. Redirect us, I pray, Lord God. We are your people. This is your church. We want to be transformed by you. Amen. Let's stand together. When we think of all the works the Lord has made, look around, look at the works he's made. See the smiles in other people's faces today. Oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the works thy hands have made, I see. Lord bless you and keep you. May he watch over you this week.
May his word constantly ever challenge you to be more and more like him to yourself in the mirror and to each other. Parents, a special blessings over you all as you face two weeks with kids at home. May the Lord bless you with patience and love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.